as we transition now into our, our sermon today, our message today, we're going to be in, in Proverbs chapter 19. And what we are looking at in this chapter is, is a prudent life. And remember, prudence is the ability to, to think and to plan ahead and, and to be careful and thoughtful about the future. So really, a prudent life is how do, we, how do we live in a thoughtful, focused way for the future? How do we uh, live in such a way that we are planning and, and looking forward in those ways? And, and really, all of Proverbs. Sometimes I get to the, the titling a sermon and I think, well, the whole book is this. You know, and, and yeah, the whole book of Proverbs is be prudent in your life. Think, um, don't go in the wrong ways, go into good ways. And, and that is the focus of these verses. We're going to just look at a section of chapter 19 today, verses 16 to 23. And, and it's structured and it goes together, and yet it also ties in with what's around it. So as you read this chapter this week, you'll see how it, it touches on the verses before and the verses that come after. But we're looking at what kind of things would be um, the key areas, you might say, in, in having a good life, a prudent life, that you're, you're thinking about the future and you're, you're careful about where you're going to end up. And so let's go ahead and, and we're going to read through it so we get it all together, and then we're going to look at the different themes in these verses. Let's read this, uh, follow along with me, please, as I read. Verse 16 begins, He who keeps the commandment keeps his soul, but he who is careless of conduct will die. One who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his good deed. Discipline your son while there is hope, and do not desire his death. A man of great anger will bear the penalty, for if you rescue him, you will only have to do it again. Listen to counsel and accept discipline, that you may be wise the rest of your days. Many plans are in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. What is desirable in a man is his kindness. And it is better to be a poor man than a liar. The fear of the Lord leads to life, so that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. So right there you get the bookends. There at the end, you know, it's fear of the Lord, live a life untouched by evil. And then right at the beginning, though, in verse 16, we have the focus on he who keeps the commandments. So, so fearing the Lord and keeping his commandments are these, these bookends that hold everything else inside together. And, and the very start, though, he who keeps the commandment keeps his soul. And the idea to keep is to guard, to watch over. So if you keep the commandment, if you follow God's law, if you follow what he has told us, this is how I want you to live. These are the things I want you to do. The person who guards that, who watches over that in their lives, makes sure that they're living those ways, keeps, same word, watches over, guards his soul, his innermost being. 
And, and so the idea is the way to, 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 to protect yourself and to make your life go in a good way is to make sure that you are observing and keeping in your life God's law, God's commandments, God's will as we leave, as we live. The, the idea of one who is careless of conduct will die. That word careless, it actually means to despise. It's kind of the idea of he who despises doesn't even want to think about how he lives his life. The way, and that word conduct, we've seen this earlier where it's based on a verb that means to trudge, you know, your pace. Your, it's just the idea to march through life. So the person who is careless about the way that they are going in life, how they live, they're going to die. They're, they're not going to, to live the right way. They're not going to go into life. If we're careless and we go anywhere we please. In fact, that word, I mentioned it means, careless means to despise. It's the word used when Esau despised his birthright. So that's kind of the idea that Esau was careless. He didn't keep his birthright. He didn't focus and keep uh, God's commandment that he was the firstborn son and that he was supposed to do certain things. He was careless about it. He didn't care. He was hungry. He let his stomach rule. And he lost his birthright. In the same way, he who is careless of his conduct, he who is, uh, despises and just doesn't worry about it, well, they're going to end up going in ways of death because the only way we can, we can keep our lives, the only way we can keep our souls and ourselves intact is if we're uh, focused and disciplined on keeping God's commandments, living accord. And when I say keeping His commandments, I always kind of want to say, you know, I, that's why I always adjust it to living according to what God has said. Because sometimes we can make, you know, keeping the commandments, a, it's, a list of, it's, it's a list of rules and you've got to keep them all. And yes, there's a list of commandments. But it's not this check mark issue. You're not just checking a box, I do this, I do this, I do that. That's, that's the Pharisees. It's the idea of do we keep it in the sense of we love it? Do we love His commandments? Do we love God by obeying Him? That's the idea of keeping it, is, is that we would uh, delight, not just be trying to check mark a box, okay, I did these things. But no, that we make it a part of our lives. And, and, and so as we think about a, a prudent life, the first thing we have to do is to uh, be considerate of how we going, are going to live. We can't just be careless and just do whatever you know, comes along and, and, and just go with the waves and go with the flow and go with the breeze, but to actively consider the way in which you live. To, to think about and say, okay, am I living according to God's Word? Am I living according to, to who God has made me to be and called me to be? Am I choosing the things that are pleasing to God? Are we, are we actively considering the way in which we live? That, that we would plan it, think about it, dwell on it, choose the right way. The, the first thing we have to do, otherwise if we are just careless about it, well then we're not going to spend much time thinking about it. We're not going to have a plan on how to live. We have to consider which way are we going to live? 
How are we going to go through life? Which, which things are we going to value? And which things are we going to not value? We have to actively consider those things if we're going to live a prudent life. And we're going to, I want to skip verse 17 as we go through it, and because we're going we're gonna to catch back up to it when we hit. You might have noticed 17 and uh, 22 both deal with this idea of being poor and poor people. We're going to hit those next. But after we consider the way in which we live, if we go to verses 18 uh, through 21, we're going to look at these together. 18 tells us, discipline your son while there is hope. The idea of discipline is to, um, to, to chasten or admonish, to, to tell them that they're doing the wrong thing and get them to do the right thing is the idea. Discipline is not punish. Punishment is just payment for what you've done wrong. Discipline is the idea that everybody needs to be brought under control and preferably self-control. You know, it's one thing to be able to do great things. It's another thing to be able to control yourself that you do small things. You know, I, I, I'm regularly told at the house that I'm yelling and I'm just speaking energetically. <laughs> I, I'm always kind of, I'll let you know when I'm yelling. You, know, you want to hear some yelling, I can yell. Uh, but the Lord has blessed me with a voice that can carry the Lord has blessed me with the ability to speak out. And I exercise that, but then I also have to think about where am I? You know, and I, I do this with kids as I'm teaching them acting or public speaking. It, it's one thing if we are in a classroom to speak at a certain level. But when they get into this room, I tell them, hey, you've got to talk to that back wall. You can't be conversational. It sounds conversational because of the room but I, my voice is much elevated now from what I would be doing if I was in a classroom or what I do, you know, if somebody comes up over here after the service and we're whispering uh, uh, with the music going, well, I, I'll, I'll vary my voice. And if I were to go into an even bigger area and have to try to communicate, I would have to raise my voice up even more. And, and I even have to teach them, hey, even if you've got a microphone, you still have to raise your voice. But for me, the thing to do, the thing I have to work on, is getting my voice quiet when I'm in a smaller space sometimes. And so that's the idea here is discipline your son while there is hope. He's got ability. He can go and do many things. And he can do many wrong things. And sometimes the right thing is just becomes the wrong thing if you're in a different space or if you're in a different place or a different situation. And how do we know when, when to do it this way and when to do it that way? And how do we know that's not a wise action? We need to do this other thing. It takes discipline. And it takes discipline from somebody outside of us oftentimes to teach us the right thing. And so the instruction first is for the fa as a father talking to other fathers, discipline your son while there is hope, while there is still time. Well, there is still the chance to get through to them because after a while, they're going to stop listening. After a while, they're going to be too far down that path and they're not going to come back. And, and, and the second part of this verse is do not desire his death. Don't, uh, the idea of, of hope and then desire is kind of to set your heart or soul on it. So, so discipline them while they have hope. 
desire is kind of the idea of hope too. But he's saying don't desire, don't, don't seek their death, which is what you do. Now, who would seek their son's death? Nobody actively does that, but if you don't discipline them, then yeah, it's as if you were seeking their death. If you don't teach a kid the right thing to do, and this is such a... This is why we are in some difficulties in our country today because we have for a while, I don't know when exactly it started, but the idea of teaching children right and wrong has seen, seemed to go out the window because we've gotten this idea of your truth, my truth. And you can't tell my kid to be quiet and you can't tell my kid to stop doing, my kid to stop doing that. And, and of course it started with people saying you can't tell me to be quiet and you can't tell me not to use certain language. So the lack of discipline is breeding lack of discipline. And it's growing, and how's that working out so far? There's no longer the self-discipline of I keep my mouth shut in this situation. Now people just have to weigh in on everything. And we have given them the tools with social media and the Internet to weigh in on everything anonymously. You don't even have to live with the people that you're talking to anymore. And it's not going so great. It's as if we are seeking the death of the next generation. Don't desire it. Don't set your, your heart, your soul on that. In fact, he, verse um, 19 follows this idea. A man of great anger will, will bear the penalty. A, a person who... Uh, and, and that idea of anger is rage. Hot, uh, wrathful rage and fury that is a person a person of great anger does not have discipline now now you can be a person who has uh the ability to act violently in fact uh, this is something that is necessary in in life that we be able to act violently when we need to but to then be able to restrain that and discipline it so we don't do it all the time. But a man of great anger is going to bear the penalty of that anger. If you don't discipline your son while there is still hope, he is going to grow up and he will bear the penalty of his lack of self-control is what Solomon is saying. And not only that, if you rescue him, you're only going to have to do it again. He's going to bear it because you can't save him from it. All you can do is if you save him once, well, he's going to fall into that pit again. You're going to have to save him again. You're going to have to keep going and keep going and keep going. And how many of us know people in our lives that have a son or a daughter who is wayward and they just keep having to pick them up over and over and over again? And it may be because there wasn't the discipline, the, the guidance early on. That's what, obviously there's going to be times where you do everything you can and it still doesn't go Right. But the idea here is that we would discipline so that we would help them to learn how to control themselves so that they would not be a person of great anger, that they would be able to control themselves and not continually have to be rescued again and again and again. It's a, the expectation should be that as our kids grow up, they become self-sufficient. They don't need you anymore. That's, that's a good thing and hopefully they get good enough at it that they'll be able to take care of you when you can no longer be self-sufficient right that's a good thing 
Then he continues these ideas. Uh, verse 18 and verse 20 are very connected. Discipline your son. In verse 20 he says, listen to counsel and accept discipline. So, so as we are told to, to discipline a son, now we're kind of looking at it as the receiver. Listen to counsel. Hear it. Pay attention. Draw close. Listen to counsel and accept discipline. When somebody disciplines you, accept it. Don't fight against it. Don't argue against it. It's natural, isn't it, for us? Somebody says you did that wrong to argue and say, no, I did it right. You can't do that. Yes, I can. This is normal. This is the way all of us are wired to be. But hopefully when we were really little, somebody told us no, and when we you know, said yes, they taught us over time no means no. And no, you can't do that. And we've learned that we don't know everything, and that my way is not always the right way, and that there are people who will discipline us. And remember, discipline isn't punishment. Discipline is guidance. Discipline is correction to help you go the right way. And so... The instruction is, is that we would listen and accept discipline. When somebody tells us that we're doing it the wrong way, that we would listen to counsel and find out the right way. If we have done something wrong and somebody comes and brings it to us, and this can be something as simple as, you hurt my feelings. That can be, you know, chastisement. Who likes to find out that they hurt somebody else's feelings? Hopefully not people that you love. You know, you love them, you don't want to hurt their feelings. And sometimes we don't discipline because we don't want to hurt other people's feelings. But, but even then, you know, to, to accept it, say, I'm sorry. To listen to it, to accept that, and then to move forward. He says to us to listen to counsel and accept discipline that you're, you may be wise. It has the intended purpose that you may. It has the, the we're seeking a result that you would be open to, to discipline and to receiving criticism and listening to advice and counsel so that you might be wise the rest of your days. That, that there's an understanding that we aren't that way naturally, that we didn't come born with everything we need, that we need other people to shape us, to guide us, to direct us, that we might become wise and that we may be wise our entire lives. And in verse 21, he tells us uh, specifically, many plans are in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord, the counsel of Yahweh, will stand. It, it doesn't matter. How, I mean, we have many plans. And we want to do lots of different things. And we, we want to go off on this tangent and that one. And maybe some of them will work. Maybe some of them won't. What we do know, though, is that the counsel of the Lord will stand. And there's that idea. You know, Listen to counsel in verse 20. The counsel of the Lord will stand. So, so above all, whose counsel should we listen to? Whose discipline should we accept that we might be wise the rest of the days? That we might not become a person of great anger that is just uh, going to bear the penalty. That we would become self-disciplined. We need to listen to the Lord's counsel. And, and throughout this is the idea of of um, accepting the fact, as I said, we don't know everything. What does it mean when you accept that you don't know everything? What does it mean when you're willing to listen to another person and accept their correction? 
and listen to their counsel and, and maybe even choose to do things based on what other people have told you would be wise instead of just doing whatever we think is the right thing. We call that humility, don't we? That we humble ourselves to listen. We humble ourselves before the Lord. We humble ourselves to one another. And as we, as we consider the way in which we live, the, the, the best course of action is to govern your life with a humble spirit. To, to, to rule your way of living. And to choose, this is what I'm going to do. So that we would choose to be a person that says, I'm going to listen to counsel. I'm going to accept discipline. I might not enjoy it. I might not be uh, open to it when it first comes up. Sometimes, you know, a person will come to me and I'll hear him out, but I've got to get away and I have to have some time to think. <laughs> you ever have that? And then you can go back maybe a day later, maybe just a half an hour later, and you're like, okay, you're right. I just couldn't accept it and I couldn't say it to your face at the moment, but now I can. You were right. You know, sometimes we need that. But are we willing to be that type of a person, to govern our lives with a, a, a spirit of humility, a humble spirit, that, that we recognize, I need to be guided. I need to be um, counseled. I need to take my plans and, and bring them to the Lord and see what His answer is. Because His counsel will stand. What, what God says is right is going to work out. And a lot of times we struggle with that because what God says is right goes against with what we want today. You know, the, the, the goals or the, the desires that we have today might go against what He says is right. Or the way that we could go about getting it today maybe goes against what He has said is right. It can be tough to listen to the Lord and to, to listen to His counsel, but we need to humble ourselves to Him. That idea of, of going and, and doing what is right uh, in, the, in the sight of the Lord and listening to His counsel, that really picks up, it, 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 it kind of is on both sides of these passages, these four verses we've been looking at. Because in verse 17, we have the idea introduced of living like God would have us live. One who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord. Basically, the idea is, is if, if you are gracious, if you are uh, kind towards the poor, a poor person who is in your life, and, and you've got to understand, because in, in that time, the idea of poverty and wealth, if you were poor, it was your fault. You're a sinner. You've done something wicked. If you were wealthy, it was because you were blessed by God. And, and so it would be very easy to look down on the poor. And I think today it's very easy to look down on the poor. It's very and not just poor monetarily, but consider going back to the whole uh, discipline your son while there is hope, and the lack of discipline and the lack of teaching people as they are growing up. I can look around, and, and we can look around, and if if you had parents who disciplined you, who told you how to eat, I mean. Crying out loud, my dad told me I needed to chew my food more than I was. You know, I needed to put my hand in my lap when I wasn't using it to hold the knife. I needed to do this, I needed to do that. I had to put the fork down while I chewed. You know? Those were things that were, the, that, that was dinner time conversation growing up. 
lots of things like that. Lots of little bitty nitty gritty. This is how you should live. I'm doing the same thing now. Catherine's learning how to drive and we're driving along and I'll be like, hey, you need to get through this turn faster because there are cars behind you that would like to make this light too. You know, and and so let's think about the people around us. And maybe I do that too much because I sometimes will make decisions in my car based on I'm worried about this other person and what they're doing. And I've been told more than once I need to stop doing that and just keep driving. Uh, but that was the way I was raised. And it's very easy to think, what's wrong with these people around me that don't do the same thing I do? What's wrong with these people that don't know how to drive? How do they not know how to drive? Well, they weren't taught, maybe. Or maybe the person that taught them was all gas and go, you know, gas and brake, gas and brake. They might be poor in the sense that they were not given the same things I was given. And it is easy to not be gracious to the people who are poor around me, isn't it? It's easy to say, oh, what's wrong with them? It's all their own fault. But maybe they just don't know any better. Maybe they haven't had any training in that. One who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord. The idea in, in the proverb is monetarily. It's the idea that they're poor uh, in material goods. And, and God, who is the creator of all, loves it when His people are kind to one another. God, who is the creator of all, loves it when we consider the person across from us as being made in God's image and deserving of value. And no matter if they're poor or rich, we are kind to them. And so that's the idea. One who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord. Literally, is, is, is God is in your debt is the idea. If you lend to somebody, they've got to pay you back, right? If you're kind to the poor, if you're gracious to the poor, if you show mercy to the poor, you are lending to the Lord. He is racking up a debt with you. Now, obviously, as we go to the cross, we recognize we can never uh, pay back the debt we owe God. But the idea here is that's the relationship you're creating with God when you're being kind to the lowest of the, low, you know, the lowest people around you, those that would normally be looked down upon. And the second half of that verse, he will repay him for his good deed. Now, we're not saying you, you go off and be nice and kind of good uh, poor people and God's going to give you back the money. It's not necessarily what we're talking about. It's the idea, though, of, of living according to God's character, according to, to the way he thinks about other people. Instead of being all high and mighty, I'm so great. What's wrong with these poor people around me that nobody taught them how to drive the way I was taught to drive? Nobody taught them to to spend their money the way I was taught to spend my money. Nobody taught them to chew their food the way I was taught to chew my food. Instead of being all high and mighty, instead to have compassion, to be gracious, to, to be patient, Because that's the way God is with us. The idea of being poor and this attitude of treating people is picked up in verse 22. What is desirable in a man is his kindness. And and different translations have... uh, This this is a difficult portion of this passage. Uh, it, It just is. Because it doesn't make much sense. What is desirable in a man is his kindness. 
It is better to be a poor man than a liar. Why is being a poor man or a liar uh, wrapped up with kindness? And some, some translations say the fruit of man is kindness. Some have a different word than kindness. You know, kindness there is hesed, which is what we use for God's uh, covenant love of his, uh, his people. It, it, some translations translate it as mercy, as grace even. What is, what is going on here in this, in this verse? And, and, and the idea, oh yeah, some of them say you know, what a man desires is love. You know, like, uh, that's, what he's, that's what we're seeking. It, it can kind of get twisted around. What's going on here is it's, it's the idea of what, what is worthwhile? What is desired in a person? What do we want to see in people? What does God want to see in us? And ultimately what God would like to see in us and what we want from people around us is kindness. Not, not, oh, they were kind to me, but the idea of loyal covenant love that we would hold on to people and be gracious to them and show them the same kind of love that God has shown us, the same kind of kindness that God has shown us. And then when he says it is better to be a poor man than a liar, it's, it, it really takes on the idea of integrity of loyalty, that, that if, if I in my kindness to another person remain poor, if I in my way of living am not able to get ahead and I am poor, but yet I am still uh, operating with this covenant love type of loving kindness to people, that is better than being a liar. And, and being a liar in the essence of getting ahead is the opposite, you know, poor becoming rich, but the person who's become rich has done so by harshness, by unkindness, by getting ahead, by not caring about the people around them. Maybe they have said, I'm going to do certain things, but they fall through. They lie about it. It has the idea when you put it all together with, with you know, poor versus a liar, desirable is kindness. It has the idea that, that what really matters is being a person of integrity. And, and, and as we look at the world and, and you know, the things that people will do to get ahead, to get a little bit more money, to get a little bit more nicer things, to get a bigger house, to get a flashier car, what are we willing to do to obtain those things? What is the world willing to do to obtain those things? What really matters is not those material possessions. Integrity is more important than material prosperity. Integrity and kindness and treating people with God's love, even if we become poor or stay poor in it, that is better than becoming a person who is a lie. And, and truly, a liar, the word really is, it's this idea of, it's a noun verb, uh, a, a falsehood, a lie. Somebody who is not true, not really what they are. They are made up. You know, are we, do we have integrity? Are we truly who we are? Or do we make ourselves a lie? And, it, and, and a lot of that is wrapped up into, with verse 17, are we gracious to those around us? Are we gracious to the poor? Do we lend to the Lord in how we treat other people? A, 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 a 
prudent life as we think about how we're going to live and if we govern ourselves with a humble spirit. We have to focus on and make sure that we maintain our integrity. That's more important than the material prosperity of getting ahead or, or being able to go on vacations all the time or you know wild and crazy things. I don't know about you, when I look in the news, I see a whole lot of stuff about celebrities going to different exotic locations. Uh, and I, I wonder, why? Why is this newsworthy that somebody with more money than they possibly know how to use wisely is going off to some crazy place I'll never go? And, and I think that's what it is. Uh, what we're doing is we live through these celebrities. We live vicariously through them. Not we necessarily, you and me, but the society that we live in is living through them vicariously. We might not ever go to these exotic locales, but they go and they take pictures of themselves in their swimsuits and then they post them on the Internet, and then apparently that's newsworthy, so it shows up in a news uh, website that I read. I don't know why, but I think that's what it is. That seeking of material prosperity, but there's no integrity left. They're not who they were once. And, and, and what... Solomon is telling us is that seeking those things is not worth it. That what really matters is integrity. and What really matters is kindness and, and, and being gracious to the people around you. He finally, the, the second bookend, remember verse 16, he who keeps the commandment keeps his soul. That was the first bookend. He ends this passage, this portion with, the fear of the Lord leads to life. So that one may sleep satisfied untouched by evil. The, the idea of sleep is really to abide or to spend, you know, to, to reside in a place. So it has the idea of where do you lay your head? Where do you, where do you stay? That you might live, that you might abide, that you might have nights of sleep that are peaceful, that are not touched by evil. In other words, you're not wakened all the time. You don't have a bunch of worries that keep you awake. And how can we maintain How can we find that? By operating in the fear of the Lord. To to have reverence for God. To be more afraid of Him than the world around us. But not just that, to to have, it's not just fear as in, oh, I don't want Him to get me. It's more the idea of reverence. I don't want to upset Him. I don't want to displease Him. I want to do the things that He likes to see. I want to do the things that would make him say, well done, good and faithful servant. The fear of the Lord leads to life. And remember verse 16, he who keeps the commandment keeps his soul. So the idea of a good life and living life is, is in both of these. And it's throughout that, that if we govern a life with a humble spirit, that's a good way of living. If we are focused on our integrity and, and being kind to one another and others around us and having grace on them, that is more important than any material prosperity we could have. That this is how to live life. And the fear of the Lord leads to it. That reverence, reverence to God is the key to a peaceful life. There might be difficulties, there might be storms, there might be bills that pile up. Those are the circumstances. Peace isn't found in good circumstances. Things can be going really great and you can be without peace. 
Reverence to God is the key to a peaceful life. The, the focus on Him. Considering that I'm going to live according to the ways God wants me to live, that gives us peace. It makes it a little bit easier to decide what's the right thing to do in this situation. What's God honoring? What does His Word tell me? You know, it's, it's not a bad thing to say what would... I, I don't necessarily agree with what would Jesus do because Jesus would do a lot of things that I... I'm, I'm not the Son of God, so I'm not going to do a lot of things that He did. But I think a good question is, what would Jesus have me do? That I can work with. You know, He might not tell me to raise somebody from the dead. He might not have me walk across the sea. But what would He have me do in this situation? That's how we get to the peaceful life. That though we have issues around us and surrounding us and problems in life, we can have a good life untouched by evil. And the idea that our sleep is peaceful if we have reverence to God. That is the key to a prudent life. Looking ahead on how should I live? Whether I have 20 years, whether I have 50 years, whether I have 5 years, whether I wonder if I even have a year left. How should I live that I might honor God? And be pleasing to Him. Those are the things. A humble spirit that accepts correction and discipline. And integrity that's more focused on how we treat other people and and the image of God in them than on getting ahead. Those come out of fear and reverence of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we pray that we would live lives that are honoring to You. We pray that we would glorify You with our choices. Not just the words that we can sing in songs or things that we tell other people that come from Scripture, but how we live. May we have integrity in, in our actions that, that people would not just hear us proclaim Jesus as our Lord and Savior, but that we would live as if He is our Lord and Savior too. That our treatment of people around us would would communicate that we are living for You and not for what we can have here on earth. That You are our focus, our hope, and our plans. We pray, Lord, that You would help us to take stock of our lives and to consider how are we living. We pray, Lord, that we would seek to live according to Your Word, according to Your sovereignty and Your grace to us, that we would live in reverence and awe of You. We ask and pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen.